Hi, everyone. This is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. I made five critical choices on my journey from the pit of despair to the peak of success, to enduring success. I picked up the phone, which was a first choice. I committed to a two-way agreement. I built trust in myself and inspired the trust of others. I created community and belonging, and I chose to embrace my boundless capacity to love. In this interview series, I ask people who I admire to come and join us and share a little bit of their wisdom and insight and lessons as it relates to these five choices across their lives on their journey to enduring success. And today I'm so happy to have Brad. Brad Nations is my guest today. So I have to say, Brad and I go way back. Yeah. We, we go way back and we created a professionally fulfilling relationship together, which then transformed into a personal relationship, which made me feel incredible that I got to experience all of you, you know, and, uh, and, and the success that you have created in your life. So will you just start out for a few minutes and will you just tell our audience a little bit about you and what you want to share? Sure. Yeah. Happy to. So first off, just thank you so much for having me. And I'm just so proud of you. Just as my friend for what you've created here. It's just, it's inspirational. I've, I've drawn a lot of strength and wisdom from the previous guests and just really honored to, mm. you would even think of me in this way. So yeah, my name is Brad Nations. Um, just by way of background, um, where to start. It's so funny. Your first reaction is to start professionally, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but we're all so much more than that. Uh, but yeah, um, born and raised in Austin, Texas, uh, High school in San Antonio, college, a little town in between called San Marcos, the university called Texas State, and really was was raised by mostly by a single mom. Had um, my dad was certainly around, uh, but a long way away. They divorced when I was about five years old, and uh, saw him periodically throughout my youth. But really was lucky enough to have a really strong mom, which will be a theme here lately uh, later as we go along <laughs> with you know really being inspired by strong women and. Um, yeah, really just was very lucky. I met my wife uh, at a very young age, at 20, uh, in college. Uh, we're still together, almost 30 years total together, about 27 married. Uh, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about some of the ups and downs of that probably today. That might come up. And um, two great kids, uh, grown kids, which is bizarre to me that I'm old enough to have grown kids. But one that's 22, lives out in Seattle, and is out of college and launched. And another one's a senior at Oklahoma State, go Pokes. Um, and she graduates in the spring. So... Beyond that, on the professional side, really have been really fortunate. I spent the first half of my career in operations, and that's actually how I met you. Yeah, um, I was was running and building call centers is what I did uh, across insurance and telecom. And I got this call one day to join a healthcare startup with no idea what that even meant. Uh, and by the way, it was in Utah, and I was living in Dallas, so <laughs> very uh, yeah. odd set of circumstances. But I took a bit of a flyer, and it really launched what ended up being my career of note in the in the health tech or health technology space. And um, moved out to Salt Lake City with my family, where we spent about ten years. And from there, just worked through a variety of, um, or really stayed in that organization for for a long stretch. And I'll talk through some of this as we go today, but. Um, you know, I just have, have been with a variety of different uh, health tech organizations like Castlight Health and Consumer Medical. Um, and today I work for just an incredibly important organization called Folks Health, uh, which is in support of the LGBTQ plus community. And, you know, that leads into my personal interests. I'm a very, very strong advocate and ally for the community themselves, but also spend a lot of time 
working at my old university, sitting on boards. I raised a lot of money for the MS Society on my bike and I'm a big uh, art nerd and film nerd and music nerd. So <laughs> all that is kind of a through line, but yeah, that's me. It's so awesome. And um, you are very humble when it comes oh. to, when e- even just thinking about your professional career and your professional success. And I know because I've watched, I was a part of some and I've watched you from a distance with, with some of the other and it's it's very inspiring. Oh. You know, we... Um, we each have our own definition of ultimate success. And what I'd like to know is when you think about creating enduring success, like enduring success, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a good question. And I tell you, it's, it's evolved, right? As we get older, like most things do. But I think I've settled on it for me over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, and enduring success to me is doing your best to set aside the fear or the the fear of an unknown future, right? And it's way easier said than done. So I I will not come on here today and say, I figured this thing out and I I sleep soundly every night and everything's unicorns and rainbows, but you know, nothing ever turns out the way that we think it's going to. And we we spend hours and days and years and months cycling through these scenarios in our head and they never come true, (laughs) right? So I think people that find enduring success are ones that can find a way to set that aside and really then be able to chase what's true to them, whether that's through their family, through causes they believe in, uh, performing meaningful work. I, I do believe we're on this planet to produce and to do something meaningful, uh, but to try to do so in a manner that is not dictated by the fear of the future. Um, so I, you, you'll hear kind of as we tell my story, I've tried to, uh, I've tried to adopt that philosophy over the last 10 or 15 years, and I've been really lucky so far, but it's way easier said than done. The future is a scary thing. And I think we are also wired to worry and to fret and to be nervous. Mm-hmm. It's still very present in my life. But I know for me, I view it that way. And the people that I view as successful are the ones that are able to, to set those things aside and really chase what they believe in. So let's go with that when we're thinking about change. Uh, the first critical choice I made on my journey was to pick up the phone when my sister called. And that was a first choice. I think we all make first choices, whether they're practical or profound. And and what is a first choice that you made when you reflect back that helped fuel your enduring success? Yeah, I tell you, it's, it was pretty clear to me when I thought about this was, uh, it was in 2015 and I, I made it, in hindsight, which feels kind of like a crazy decision, <laughs> uh, but you know, it really kind of falls into this, you know, philosophy that I've shared. Uh, you know, we had just, uh, the organization I was working with from 2007 all the way to 2015, uh, we had gone through, you know, you were part of it. We, that's where we had met. We'd gone through a very early stage startup. We worked our tails off. We were bought by a bigger company. I stayed there for three years and just hit a point to where I, I didn't feel like professionally I was achieving very much and certainly wasn't feeling good about my work every day. No knock on that organization, but it just... I, I hit that point that I mentioned. I, maybe I was sticking around for fear of the future, sticking around for fear of being able to feed my family um, and all the, the reasons which are valid. Uh, but I, I took a leap of faith. Um, and this is the first time I've ever done anything like this before in my life. Um, I quit my job with no plan, no backup, and no desire to seek something else immediately. So I, I would label it as a sabbatical. And um, 
that choice in itself, first of all, could not have been accomplished without my incredible partner and my wife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I still remember exactly where we were walking in Salt Lake City, exactly the conversation we have when I said, you know, how would you feel if I walked away from this thing without a plan? And she did not hesitate, do whatever's in your heart. Um, and so I'm very fortunate, first off, to have a partner that, that supported me that way. But, you know, that decision really changed my entire life. Um, I, you know, I left, as I mentioned, without a plan. Um, my number one goal at that point was it was the last summer of my kids' lives that I had full control of their schedules. <laughs> so, yeah, before they, boyfriends and girlfriends started coming in for cars and jobs. So I knew I wanted to spend dedicated time with them. And we did. We spent almost a month in California. We have an old trailer that we drag around. Uh, we started at the top of California, worked our way down. I spent a lot of time traveling um, with not only with, with old friends and catching up. Uh, I also spent some time traveling by myself. Wow. And that was being hugely impactful for me. I, I'm very much wired to be around people. Um, I get my energy from people, but I forced myself to be alone. And I dragged my trailer up to the tops of the mountains in Utah and Wyoming and Montana. And, and I sat there with myself in silence, uh, which, again, if you know me, is my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and what I did in that time was, was reflect mm-hmm. and I wrote and I wrote to myself. Um, which again, maybe the beginnings of the shining, I'm not sure, but it's, you know, in the end, it's, uh, I wrote to myself and just reminded myself what was important. I got far enough away from trekking emails every day, text messages, phone calls, um, to where I just was getting up every day and living my life without all these other noise. And as hokey as it might sound, there was clarity there. I, I was reminded about what I love and what I care about, what I want to do professionally, um, and I wrote to myself to remind myself of that as my journey kicked back off. Um, and I spent almost a year uh, doing this and, um, you know, chase some passions. I worked for the Sundance Film Festival, which I'm a, as I mentioned earlier, a total film nerd. But I didn't I went, know you did that. Yeah, I, I did. I worked for the, the Sundance Institute for about four months and wow. ended up literally living in Park City during the festival and got to meet some amazing people, have some experiences, which are just insane. And um, and my number one goal, I'll tell you though, was to wait until I was so miserable that I couldn't wait to get back to work hmm. until my tank was completely full of energy and ready to roll. And then I took those lessons that I taught myself and then I went out and, and sought my next opportunity and, um, and I'll pause there, but that was probably the biggest, biggest thing that ever, that ever happened to me on that side, at least in my professional career and frankly, even my personal, cause it kind of realigned how I view the world. And interesting I hear two big first choices in that. The first choice of leaving the job without a plan, right? Like that's huge. That's a big choice in and of itself. And I'm sure you could even break that down to like little small ones before you made the big one. But the second first choice you made there is how you were going to spend your time. Hmm. Right, because I'm sure we we know we know people who have left and transitioned from you know perhaps one career to the next and then just dive right back in. I think it's pretty interesting and astounding that another first choice you made was I'm going to use my time with my family and with myself to create clarity and reflection, and my body and my mind will tell me when I'm ready to take the next mm-hmm. the next gig. First choices are hard to make. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you tell that story and it's like when you've made the choice, is it really that hard? 
Yep. Yeah. It's, it's like the choice. The choice itself is easy. The, the consequences and you're back to fear of the unknown future. Right. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like, you know, you think about what makes the first choice difficult. Um, you know, the, the emotional side of that was a no brainer. I mean, I wanted to do that so badly. I was yearning to, to do that piece, but there's a very pragmatic side, right? How will I feed my family? Well, sure. <laughs> um, you know, and you think professionally, like, you know, it's how will I be viewed, right? I think we're all we're all kind of wired, and this is really important. If, if anyone is inspired by this little part of the story, I would tell you to listen closely here. What happens next? We're all wired to believe that boy, there's a gap in your resume. What's wrong with that guy? Did he get fired? Why does no one want to hire him? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we are told that, or we believe that, and I am here to tell you the exact opposite of that is true. And when I was ready to come back into the workforce to this day, I mean, we're seven, eight years removed from that moment. That story is the most inspirational thing I can tell anybody in any job interview, in any discussion, because every time it's like, oh, boy, I wish I'd done that. And, you know, and I remind them, you can. Like, there's nothing stopping you. Um, now, I'm not saying these are easy decisions. I'm not saying that there's not, you know, that I had worked hard and, and had the privilege of being able to afford to do this in some capacity. Right. It wasn't wasn't going to be forever. Like we had to pay attention to bills and money. Uh, but even if somebody's you know not able to afford it today, it doesn't mean you can't put it on the roadmap. It's a goal. Totally. It's five years from now, four years from now. And so I think from that side, I would just allay anyone's fears back to the fear of the future is, um, you know, how you're viewed and that choice uh, is, is not going to be a negative one at all um, because you're going to come out bigger, stronger, faster because of it. And so, but you know, it, it, it was not without risk, you know, and certainly I could have, I could have done something to where, you know, maybe there was not, there was a universe where I didn't have an interesting job opportunity come up or I, I, could, I could have, you know, lost my house or had other types of challenges. And, um, you know, but it was very fortunate uh, that, that everything kind of worked out the way it did. Great. The second critical choice, the second critical mm-hmm. choice that I made on my journey was to commit to a two-way agreement. And now you know the, the agreement that I committed to was between me and my sister. Right. When I think about two-way agreements, the characteristics that I think about are two parties coming together with the intent of giving and receiving, both giving and receiving, in order to achieve a desired outcome. What I experienced is by committing to this two-way agreement with my sister, actions that started out from you know, I have to do this, really transformed to I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I think we all informally and formally kind of enter into these two-way agreements, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, what is a two-way agreement that you've entered into? What did you give and what did you get? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. Um, for me, it's probably back to my wife. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we met when we were 20. And if you think about that, I mean, I'm almost 50 now. And so that's a long time, right? And through that, through those decades, you know, people, no matter how committed they are to one another, you know, you grow and you change as an individual um, and as a couple. And what, what I found and what we found was as we were getting older and our kids were getting older, and all about the same time frame, by the way, that I that I just got done telling you about. Right. Um, you know what I what we both started to realize is we had become very different people, um, and that while we loved each other and we were committed to each other, and of course we had our kids, and 
the life we built together, our interests have fundamentally changed. Um, I love live music. That is not her jam. <laughs> I love going to movies, not her thing. Uh, she was seeking a spiritual path, mm. uh, not, not my thing. Well, and uh, you know, I, I may mention some of that again here in a bit, but um, just a lot of things were changing, right? And, and our relationship was, was, was not great uh, at all. Uh, and I'm not talking out of school. If she were here in the house, she would be nodding behind me. <laughs> So we made a two-way agreement to figure it out one way or the other. Um, my biggest fear, as pragmatic as it sounds, is our kids were going to graduate, leave the house. We were going to shake hands and say, that was real good. Good luck with the next chapter of your life. <laughs> and neither of us wanted that. But both of us saw that that was a possibility. It really was. We'd seen a lot of friends of ours that had divorced. Um, and as painful as that was, we also saw a lot of friends of ours who had found a partner who was an incredibly uh, wonderful fit for who they are now as an adult, maybe not who they were 20 years ago. So it wasn't in, in like the way my mind started to go, it wasn't necessarily all negative, but I wanted to be married to my wife. <laughs> and I wanted to stay with her. And so we fought and we went to counseling and we worked through stuff and we learned a lot about each other. Um, and the two way agreement we made was we wanted to make this thing work or at least go down swinging. Um, in a good way. Um, and we were so fortunate that we accomplished that goal and um, that we found a way to reconnect as a couple. We found things that are common ground to us without having to give in to something you just don't care about. My wife still does not care about going to live music. She's not okay. going She's not going to the, the blues festival or whatever you go to. So for me, that, like that, it, I would spin that in my brain like she doesn't love me. That's why she doesn't want to go. No, the truth is she just doesn't care about going to live music. <laughs> and so we found we found a way to find a number of, of joint interests, um, and we also gave each other permission and the security to have individual interests. And um, that was actually all during that same time. Um, that was one of the things I worked on. We worked on together while I was on my sabbatical and. And we're lucky that we came out the other side of that. But without the two of us making that commitment to each other and at least trying, knowing that there was a decent chance this wasn't going to end well, um, is, is probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I can say with all honesty, and I'll say it here on, uh, on video, you know, we are as good now as we were when we were 20 or 21 when we first met. And that's hard to replicate, right? Those are pretty awesome. Those first couple of years are pretty great. <laughs> and so, right. and, uh, so we're lucky on that side, but it took a lot of work and a lot of knowing that you know, it, it may not go the direction we think it will. Again, fear the unknown future, right? Did your kids observe this um, resetting or the, this new two-way two agreement? Like, did they observe a change in the two of you, do you think? Boy, I'd love, I'd love for them to answer that question. I We talked about it a little bit with them. We, my wife and I are very open and honest with our kids, especially now that they're adults and they're in relationships of their own, right? My eldest is engaged. My youngest is in a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think it's been important for us to be very honest with them because I think I think in their mind, we've had a pretty great relationship. Uh, they certainly haven't seen the ups and downs and using it as a teaching moment for your kids that no matter how wonderful things are, it's going to be hard. Marriage is hard. Two people together forever is a very difficult thing. Um, and it's not always great and and that's okay. Um, so we. I know, I know they do now because we've exposed all of that to them, um, again, with hopes that they strengthen their own relationship. And, and I'll tell you the one thing I have shared with them is seek counseling early and often, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, from my perspective, like I, I liken it, 
I remember talking to my nephew one day, we were going through a pretty terrible family tragedy. And um, I, I likened the cycling analogy. Um, you can see over my shoulder, I'm a cyclist. And I told him, I said, when I'm on the bike, the point is, you know, eat before you're hungry, drink before you're thirsty. Right. And I think in the end, that's what, that's what cycling is all about. If you wait until you're, you're thirsty or hungry, you're going to bonk out and you're going to be done for the day. Um, and I believe that too, with, with seeking help, working on your mental health, behavioral health, and, you know, eat before you're hungry, drink before you're thirsty, right? And especially in relationships, like begin to kind of seek this thing. So a little issue stays a little issue. Otherwise you end up with Patty and I did where suddenly we're, we've diverged way too far. We let it get away from us. So great. So the third critical choice that I made was to build trust in myself and inspire the trust of others. And building trust in myself was truly the first thing that I had to do before I could even think about how can I inspire the trust of others. Sometimes I think this is a difficult question to think about. Um, was there ever a time where you felt like you might not have trusted yourself, like had the full trust in yourself? And if so, how did you build it? Yeah, I mean, daily to this day, I have to, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I, I, it's funny, I can, I can kind of break the question down. Like, I, I trust myself to make good day-to-day -day decisions and I'm not, uh, luckily I'm not being drawn into anything that's going to be terribly life-altering. But what I don't trust myself sometimes is really, I, to use an old tired term, an imposter syndrome, like I, I still mm. to this day struggle with that. And I struggle with, you know, why on earth is anyone paying me to do anything? Why did Trish Kendall ask me to join this, this um, interview series? And, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, pragmatically, you know, you, you can look at the body of work and you can look at the impact you have on your friends and your family relationships. And you can take all that and, and know that you're, you're okay. And you're doing something that's positive, but there's still an inner voice for me that, that erodes trust and, and kind of, uh, you know, just, I don't know, just kind of tears away at things. So, and it's funny, I'm not even saying it's all bad. Like in some ways it continues to, to push me forward, but in other ways I, it is a, a detractor. I, I remember years ago I was, um, when I was at Castlight Health, um, we, I was really fortunate. I had a really good year and we were kind of on our club trip, right? Where you get to go and they take the kind of top performers and only time in my life I ever got to go on that trip. And I was talking with one of our senior executives and I made that, I made a similar comment to her. I was like, yeah, I just, um, you know, I, half the time, I don't feel like I even know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I just come off the biggest sales year in the history of the company. I had sold the, the biggest deal ever to this day in the history of the company. And, and she's like, what? <laughs> like, it, it blew her mind, but it was the God's honest truth. So I feel like for me, the, the trust has been challenging, but I will say the leap that I took in 2015 and mm -hmm. You know, the decisions that I've made along the way um, have have really begun to build that to where at least I do know, you know, pragmatically, yeah, I, I can trust myself. I can trust the impact I have on people. I can trust the work that I do. But there is still a voice in my head uh, every day. And I wish it would go away, but it doesn't seem like it's moving that just continues to kind of just grab at you and say, nope, you know, you're a big fraud and they're going to all figure it out here pretty quick. <laughs> and maybe that's part of, the Brad magic, you know, no. it, you know how sometimes they say like, just whatever, you, you know, who you are is who you are. And that's what you've created, what you create. And, you know, maybe it goes even back to what I said at the beginning is that you are very humble and, and it's authentic. Like what you were <laughs> just saying, you're like, Hey, wait a minute. I created this. Yeah. You created this. <laughs> how, 
How do people, how does someone inspire your trust? Mm. Boy, that's, that's pretty easy, right? It's to me, it's just, it's just honesty and positivity. And, and at least for me, they're just kind of unyielding desire to see other people do well. Um, you know, as I think about like the way I try to serve in my life today is I love being a connector. I love being a, a voice. I love being a thought partner. And, you know, and I, I've learned that, you know, if I'm asked for advice, I'll give it, but otherwise just listening and helping and ask questions and helping people think through things. And so I, I'm really inspired by that. And that builds trust for me when I, when I feel like somebody is really genuinely interest, interested in me and, and how things are going. And they're, it's not just the cursory, how you doing? How's the weather? Okay, let's get to business. But it's really a thoughtful conversation. It makes me feel loved. It makes me feel accepted. And so I try to pass that forward um, on a regular basis. I'm lucky that I've got a group of people that I get to interact with that sometimes seek my counsel. I seek theirs. And these are all two-way streets, right? You think they're, you talk about like a mentor relationship. Anyone that I mentor, there are definitely chapters where they're mentoring me. It, this is a very <laughs> circular you know, life we're living here. And so I think trust for me really comes down to just, you know, honesty, positive, positivity, and just truly caring about the person that's across from you. Yeah. One of the things that I think about, um, I'll put this in, I'm projecting it to you, but, but this was my experience is part of the way that, that I built trust was by doing the little things great. Oh yeah, and just because it, it just seemed so big to me, and so just doing some of the little things, great. And I and I know that you are so disciplined in your in your work practice and in your in your biking practice and all. Is is there a little thing that you think about, like the little thing that you continuously do great? I think the, I've never thought about it that way, but I think the one thing I like to think that I do great is, is I always say yes when people reach out, when people need time, I, I, I never put it off. Um, hey Brad, can we talk? Let's talk today. Like, I, I think it's important that you respond to those things and you get on it right then and there. And I'm guilty as anybody of procrastinating other things. And I wish I was more disciplined in other parts of my life. But when it comes to the people side of things, I, I, I'll drop everything to go handle that. Um, and it, it's just, I, I think that's probably a little thing that I try to do that I'm really proud of. Yeah. And I'm a recipient of that. Thank you oh. <laughs> very much. When, um, when I was in my early thirties, so this was, this was before you and I met, but when I was in my early thirties, I realized that I was friendly with everyone. I was friends with no one. I still oh, boy, didn't yeah. belong anywhere. I, I, I still didn't have a community and I didn't have a sense of belonging. So the fourth critical choice I made at that point was to create community and create belonging because mm. I figured out <laughs> you can't get it unless you give it. Yeah, yeah, right. Has there been a time where you, you ever felt like you didn't belong? Well, how about this? You've already given me some examples, but let's just keep going with it when you haven't felt like you belong? Yeah, oh boy, this is a big theme for me. <laughs> like, so I would say most of my life, I have not felt like I belonged. Um, I felt like I could get along, um, but I didn't, never felt like I truly was connecting well. You know, it, it's everything from, you know, I, I was never one that really got along with the guys. You know, I was raised by a single mom, had a sister in the house. I was never kind of that 
that you know rough and tumble boy um and that continues to translate to this day i, I struggle with with some of those things um in professional settings there's always someone with a went to a better school than me that seems a little smarter a little quicker a little funnier a little more insightful uh, i I've, i continue to struggle with that piece but i'll tell you something that that really hit me on my um sabbatical so forgive me this is gonna be kind of a ridiculous story mm -hmm. but if i rewind the tape all the way back to about like sixth or seventh grade right so same kind of thing i was in school i knew people but i wasn't really i was never popular even way after the story um but definitely just had a hard time connecting although i was social people would describe me as i think some people would be surprised to hear this part <laughs> if they know me but but what i learned was I was nervous and kind of anxious around people. I was trying to kind of fill a role, but then I went out and go to summer camp. So I used to go to summer camp in the hill country here in Texas and I had friends and I had girls that were interested in me and I was a totally different person. And then I went back to school and I kind of clammed back up again and became this, this other version of myself. So I, I, I jokingly now call it summer camp Brad. And so when I went to college, I decided I was going to be summer camp Brad. And I was able to develop some really meaningful relationships. I met my wife and, but what I found is there's no, it's always coming and going. I feel like through much of my professional career, summer camp Brad went away and I went back to just kind of being this person. And you said it perfectly. I had, I was very, very friendly with lots of people, did lots of things, but I did not really have friends. I didn't make friends in the workplace. I kind of kept everybody at arm's length. Um, and it, it wasn't until my sabbatical and one of the things I wrote to myself in that trailer up in the mountains <laughs> by myself was be summer camp Brad as best as you can. And so because of that, I will tell you, and again, this is not, it, it, it ebbs and flows like everything else in life. But, you know, professionally, when I joined Consumer Medical, um, where I was for four years, that is the first time I ever truly put myself out there um, and said, okay, I'm going to connect. I'm going to be me. Um, I'm going to accept them and vice and it ended up being, and for those, whoever ends up listening to this, but it ended up being the best experience of my life professionally. Mm -hmm. I've made friends there that I'll have forever. Uh, we still are on, we haven't been working together for over a year. We're still on a text exchange. It gets used every single day. And that was the first time I truly felt accepted. I felt connected and very, very close with, with, um, you know, people that I worked with and it, it really changed my perspective. And so I try to adhere to summer camp right as much as I can, but you know, it, it, it's not always easy. Yeah. It's so good. So I've got to pull this a little bit with summer camp, Brad. I want to, I want to, I want to do a compare and contrast just some of the, some of the adjectives or whatever words that come to your mind when you what did it feel like not to belong? So when you weren't summer camp, Brad, what did that feel like? And then I'm going to ask you, what does it feel like when you chose to be? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll make a t-shirt called summer camp. I Brad. know. Uh, I think it's awesome. I've said it more in the last five minutes than I have my entire life. The, uh, so what does it feel like not to belong? Um, full of self-doubt, uh, second guessing, being in a meeting and saying something and thinking in your brain, oh, no one cares about that. That's a bad idea. Um, you know, being invited to things, but secretly thinking, oh, I don't really want me there. Or, I don't want to do that. Or I think I'm just going to go home. Um, and it's just self-sabotage in so many ways, right? It's like I, I manufactured a scenario in my head and I acted on it, <laughs> even though it wasn't necessarily true. And I, I don't, I mean, there's certain, there's always going to be people that don't like you and that sometimes what you're perceiving is accurate. But I think most of the time in my life, I've manufactured most of it in my head. Um, and, and so the opposite of that is when it's summer camp rant time. Um, 
you know, I, I worry less about that. I, I, I am who I am. I, I make the joke I want to make. I, I'm not afraid to, to, to be confident with what I believe in and stand up for it or back it up or recognize I might be wrong. And so I think when I'm at my best, it's I care, but I don't spend a lot of time worrying about how this comment might be perceived uh, or how, you know, how someone might, might, might view me. Because if, if I'm authentic and I am who I am, this is the best I can be, right? And I find that when I do that, I am. I do feel connected to people. I am much better received, mm-hmm. and frankly, that's when my career and my personal life has really gone through the roof. Is when I've done that. It's when I when I shell up and I clam up again. Is when things start slowing down, and then um, and it just doesn't feel great. It just doesn't feel great. Thank you for that. And and the the last thing that came to my mind listening to you is that, and this has been my experience too, is that creating a sense of belonging really takes to your Mm -hmm. desire to show up in a way that you're creating your belonging. And of course, then the other people or the other person embracing, you know, embracing the the way that you're showing up. And so I just think that that story hits that so well. The other thing here is community. Oh, go on. Sorry. I think one one last point I want to make on that though is one last learning I've had, this took me a long time, is just because I'm not accepted or just because I you know, because if someone legitimately is not connecting, I have had to give myself grace and understanding that, that it's not just, it's not a zero sum game. It's not like they've just said, I don't like Brad. I'm not going to connect with him. I've learned that people have so many things going on in their lives. So many, so many other things that are challenging them daily. So I've tried to learn also not to take that personally, right. In the end, it, 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 and Great. maybe it does have to do with me, but, but likely there's a million other reasons why it's not working out. So trying not to fret on that and, and move forward. So anyway, apologies awesome. for interrupting you, but that. no, that, that's great. And then the, the only, the, the last thing that I wanted to get your perspective on here with the fourth choice is community. And, and you're a part of many communities. When I think, when I think about you, even like your indie, indie films, but what are <laughs> some of the communities that you're a part of? And, you know, Again, like, what do you get and what do you give? You know, just like being a part of those communities. Yeah, boy, it's, um, I am a part of a lot of communities. And I, I love the question because you don't think about that until you take a step back. So, yeah, from a community perspective, you know, today it's uh, cycling is a big part of my world. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I play guitar. I've I play, been playing in bands. And uh, so that's a part of my world. There's a professional community. There's a charitable community. Um, I, we're trying to do more and more philanthropy. My wife and I just set up an endowed scholarship in our university. We're doing board work. And so there's a lot of those. Um, and I will tell you that the, big, the biggest gift that I've gotten from that is really just understanding the perspectives of people that I likely would never have encountered if I had just stayed in my little lane. Um, and so two quick examples in that is, yeah. you know, one is the bike. Uh, the bike puts me in a group of people from a wildly different set of professional backgrounds, political backgrounds, religious backgrounds, people that I likely would have never even encountered in any other capacity. But suddenly you're in a group of five or six people riding and you're getting to know people and it forces you and you're on the bike for hours, hours, and you're talking about everything. And you find that you kind of blow past all the stereotypes and all the preconceived notions and you just get to know the person. Boy, what a lesson, especially in today's world, right? It's just because we don't agree on who should be president or who, whatever this policy, that policy, uh, to push through some of those things has been amazing. Um, and the last, just real quick example, and probably the greatest thing that's happened to me in my adult life when it comes to community is, is the church. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm not a religious person, 
but when my wife decided we lived in Utah that she wanted to really become or really seek out that part of her life, I went. Uh, I went to be supportive of her. I went to. I, I went even seeking for me. I was really hoping I could find a connection to that, and I went all in. Um, I met the most amazing people. Uh, that's how I got into music. I started playing in a band, and then that led to another band that led to us recording. We're actually we're on iTunes, and all that started from that particular from from me saying wow. I, I'm going to join this community even though I don't believe. And I had some negativity and preconceived notions of that, about the people that did believe, mm-hmm. and got to know and spend years of my life uh, with one person in particular, the the wife of the pastor of the church, and they're some of our closest friends now. But she and I got to know each other at an incredibly deep level and had, she's an incredibly faithful woman and I am, I I can't find my way with that. And yet we spent years of our lives just loving each other, being supportive of each other and hearing each other's perspectives and debating and talking. And it gave me an incredible perspective on her and on faith. And even though I can't personally connect to it um, and for her, it gave her an incredible perspective. She's never really had such deep discussions about uh, with someone like me and Here's the most amazing thing, Trish. This is something I never could imagine would happen to me. She wrote a book and she dedicated the book to me. And because of the spirit of our conversations and and just the book's not about me, but it is about in some ways the conversations, but two people that are very different came together and actually found common ground and learned from each other. And so that's what the community has given to me. So I would say anyone that's, that's hiding from community or staying away from it, Holy cow, I, I owe my entire life to community and the variants of people that are in my life. I'm so fortunate on that side. And how the differences, because community isn't just people who are like me. I, I mean, your story just amplifies that so much about how can other people who aren't like me help elevate and nurture and enrich in my life. And, and that example is, what's her book? Uh, her book is called uh, The Failure of God. Okay. Uh, it's on Amazon. Susie Nelson. Go buy it. Susie Nelson. I'm going to look. I'm totally going to look. All right. That, that's great. When you see the, the inscription, it says to JBN, those are my initials, and she, she calls me God's best friend. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty. It was incredible. It's one of the most humbling. <laughs> I've never been so floored. In my, I was truly speechless. And again, you know me pretty good. That's tough for me to be speechless. I didn't know what to say. Uh, just incredibly generous. And the book is beautifully written. So, but anyway, Wonderful. I digress. Thank you, Susie. <laughs> uh, this probably leads us beautifully to my fifth choice. And, and, and if I, I'll just take a quick, quick step back. The four choices that we just talked about. So the four choices making a first choice, committing to a two-way agreement, building trust, and creating community and belonging. Those four choices for me built upon each other and prepared me for my fifth choice. For me, it was linear. I had to make those other choices until I was ready and prepared to make the most important choice. I think the choice we all can make to create enduring success, and that is to embrace our boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. Yeah. So I want to get into this with you. (laughs) And maybe we just start with, we all have a choice. When I think about love, what I'm not talking about is love as an emotion, love the emotion, the, the, 
you, you know, when we had kids, we didn't need to choose to love them. You know, they were just, the emotion was there. That wasn't a choice. So I'm talking about the choice to give love and to receive love in the way that it manifests itself and for different people in different ways at different times. Would you share a story or tell us what it means to you to choose to give all of your love? Yeah, well, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, had, I could probably give you two, but it's a, it's a, it's a recurring theme, but um, probably the, the, the easier one for me to tell out loud, um, you know, through that community I mentioned earlier back in Salt Lake City, I uh, got to know um, a, a good friend of mine, uh, and Chris, and Chris was um, was here, just happened to be in Texas. We, I live in San Antonio now. He was in Austin with his wife and some friends, and we, we were not part of that trip. I was actually out of town. Um, and his wife had an accident while they're on this trip, just a weekend trip, having fun. They're on one of those scooters that you see everywhere. Um, she went down and ended up with a traumatic brain injury. Wasn't sure she was going to survive. Um, and his entire life changed in that exact moment on a Saturday night when everything's just going, you know, like it should. Um, so I flew home, got to Austin to go to support him. But the one thing I did that I, I'm really proud of, and I, I, I had a hard time telling the story cause it's, I, I don't want it to be a bragging thing for me, but it is a time that I chose to give all my love and my heart, my soul to somebody. Um, I found us a place to live. Uh, thankfully, one of my best friends from high school, um, you know, had an extra space we could stay in. And I moved to Austin um, with with Chris. And I lived there for about two and a half, three weeks. I slept on a couch. Um, I took him to and from the hospital every single day. She was in a coma for a good period of time at the beginning and then began to come out. Um, when they finally were able to at least get her to the next stage, which is rehab, she couldn't go back to Utah. We moved him here to my home, to San Antonio. We put her in rehab in San Antonio. He lived with us. And this is all told ended up being about a month of our time. Um, and so, you know, for me to give, yes, but giving love is, you know, I, I was fortunate enough, again, back to an incredible partner uh, with Patty and, you know, the, the, where I could set my life aside and just support him and love him. And it was everything from driving him to and from, taking him to dinner, just trying to keep him laughing and thinking and talking and crying with him and, mm -hmm. and agreeing that this is terrible and all this sucks. And it's, you know, and, and trying to not go down the rabbit hole of the future and just, and so that was, that was something I'm really proud of. And unfortunately we had another situation a year later where my nephew passed away unexpectedly. And, and I ended up doing the exact same thing for my sister, my brother-in-law. And so, you know, while I, it's awful that these situations have happened, I would tell you the only silver lining is you said it beautifully. Like it's, you know, we, we, there's, there's no cap on the love and the support we can give. And I found that for whatever reason, that is a gift I can give of just presence and service and giving and hanging my life up and not just saying, boy, I hope everything turns out. Okay. I'll come visit you on the weekend, but going all in and being in it and being in the, the toughest, hardest, most emotional times. It's awful. But and the flip side is I was able to give something that no one else could have given. And, and the love I received back and continue to, I, I, I can see every day in the eyes of my family and my friend, Chris, of, of what it meant to them. And, and I just know my time's coming, right? I'm going to have that moment where I need that love and support. And I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to pour myself into them that way. Yeah. And Chris and your sister and brother-in-law chose to receive yeah. all of your love. And sometimes yeah. I think we don't. That's true. Choose to receive it all. And Chris yeah. did. You know, if we just keep with Chris for a minute. And I think that is powerful because it allowed you 
to give it all and, mm-hmm. and, and, and feel him receiving. Yeah, that's right. Has that's there, right. yeah, keep going. No, no, it's just true. Cause I, I just think through the moments when they were here before we finally were able to get her stable and get back to Utah. And by the way, she, she, she might hear this. Suzanne's kicking butt, but uh, she's doing great. Um, but I do remember a really, a really emotional time, um, you know, as they were leaving and he just kind of broke down of just thanking me for everything that I did and Patty did along the way. And it was an interesting, he had an interesting observation that on the surface, I think I made something like a comment, like you would do it for me. And he said something really powerful that, that he, and what he said was, I'm not sure that I would have. And he started bawling, crying. And I thought about that for a long time. And, and what he meant was, of course he would. But when you think about it in a rational, pragmatic way, you're like, am I really going to hang up my whole life for two or three weeks and move in with somebody and do all this? But when the moment hits you and, and someone you love is in trouble, yeah, that's exactly what you're going to do. And that's exactly what he would do for me. And I did it for him. And, but it was just an interesting, it was an interesting moment, probably for both of us, but, but he would do that. But when you think about it at a rational level, it, it, it probably sounds nuts but it's it's what you do it's what people that love each other should do um and it's changed my perspective on 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 empathy and and just being present and being there for somebody and honestly most of the time was just sitting there going yeah this is terrible it's not a bunch of yeah buts or uh, Brene brown's got a great line about uh, you know don't ever lead with at least you know that <laughs> one uh you know, well at least uh, at least you have insurance and you can cover it like no this is just all terrible i mean let's yeah. just sit in it and love on each other and so anyway, I'll, I'll pause there. And and I all I also believe that those actions of love, the behavior of giving love that, that you just um, articulated, we can do in the smallest of moments. And mm. perhaps those are the times where it's harder to do because it's not the big moment and knowing that your best friend needs the support and this love and this care. And I I hope and I would ask people to consider that even in the small moments, to choose to give love through all of the examples that you gave can not only transform the person that you're giving it to, but more so transform you yourself. Yeah in the giving. I think about the small thing. It's funny. I've lately, I think I make, I make some of my friends uncomfortable because I, I just started telling my friends I love them. <laughs> like, you know, and I put it in the text. I had a friend of mine um, whose mother passed away today and I just texted her and said, Hey, I love you. I'm so glad you're in my life. And it's interesting that people, some people react right away. I love you too. And some people just, Hey, thanks. But you know, I'm not going to stop. Like I think people need to know that. And you know, and I just, you, it's the old, it's cliche, but you never want to look back and not have said something that's important to you. And so, you know, I, I, it, it is little moments like that. You're exactly right. Just a little text here or there, just saying it out loud. <laughs> and it's hard to say out loud sometimes. But strangely, it's hard to say out loud sometimes to like your spouse and it is to some friend. Like it's like we're, we're wired in such weird ways and it's hard to, to verbalize it, but it's yeah. important to do so. And we can act it out. I mean, you, you brought up examples in the, and then I'll move, move us forward, but you brought up examples when we were talking about building trust. Like a manifestation of giving love, I think, is asking questions and listening. You know, like all of those things in the totality are manifestations of us choosing to give and choosing to receive. And and I'll leave our audience with this ponder, <laughs> this ponder for you and I, is 
I, I know there are many reasons why we choose to withhold love. And I know there are many reasons why we choose to not receive all the love that others want to give us, you know, whether it's fear or it's pride or all of the things, fear being probably the biggest one. And what I ponder is, what if, what if each of us today showed up in the spirit, in our next interaction with all of the interactions that we have today with our fellow human beings, just show up in the spirit of, I'm going to give you all the love that I, all of it, and I'm going to receive all that you want to give me. Like, what could that mean? (laughs) Unbelievable, right? I mean, it's, I mean, for me, I I tell you that what it means for me is, and I kind of liken back to the story I told about the bike and the people that I've met is, you know, what it means is relationship and community building way beyond your, your predefined religious or political or societal or regional situation. It's, it's just being honest and being forthright and being caring and empathetic and imagine the, the expansion of your community at that moment uh, with people that you never in your life dreamt that it would be part of your life. And they bring such unique perspective and gifts to you uh, that, you know, and, you know, a story for another another interview, but, you know, the, the people that I met, that I, stories I told today are all folks that I would not have met had I not tr- made a choice that I was going to insert myself into communities and receive and give love. And, you know, it's in through ups and downs, it has it's been the greatest gift. But I think in the world today, if we could, if we could be, if we could show love and therefore show honesty and show understanding and empathy we actually might all enjoy hanging out together exactly <laughs> on every little thing. So exactly. But, you are so uh, awesome. I, I believe with my whole heart, with my whole heart that we create enduring success and we fuel the success of those around us when we do choose, when we choose mm-hmm. to give all of our love and we choose to receive it and your stories and your examples just bring all of that to life. Thank you for choosing to give me you and your time and sharing these amazing stories with our communities. Well, thanks for creating all this. This is an incredible platform. I'm so lucky to have known you. Yeah, thank you. You're so awesome. All right. Love you. I love love you. (laughs) See, that's perfect. Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. Just go to trishkendall.com backslash choose-become-interview-series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me, trish at trishkendall.com.